It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast, the biggest football game of the year, at least so far, basketball season, ready to tip off a game-changing injury at Mizzou, all kinds of stuff to get to Mitchell Forty and Gabe DeArmond here. We'll do that shortly, but uh, quickly, as usual, want to draw your attention to some people that make the podcast possible. Medical technology moving as fast as your smartphone more and more. People are receiving medical device implants like knees, shoulders, hernia mesh, pacemakers, and others. These devices are saving lives, but just like car parts or anything mechanical, they can also have recalls. If you or a friend has a device with a recall, you need to know right away. Visit trackmyimplants.com to learn more and have peace of mind notifications in real time that is trackmyimplants.com the podcast also this week brought to you by mark skid a new underwear underwear company run by a mizzou fan we'll tell you a little bit more about mark skid later on in the podcast but you probably would uh, rather talk Mizzou stuff, so we're going to get right to that. So basketball season right around the corner at Mizzou and a very anticipated women's basketball season. We're going to bring in head coach Robin Pinchton to talk about the team with us for just a little bit. And coach, uh, how you doing this morning? Doing very well, thanks. Happy to be with you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking some time. And now uh, we're not we're not going to ask you to break any NCAA rules and talk about why it might have been a good week, but it seems to have been a good week for Missouri basketball. Uh, <laughs> season right around the corner, and you guys are uh, probably pretty excited these days. Yes, we really are. Feeling super blessed. And, um, you know, the future looks really bright and um, really excited for these kids. And uh, they've been working really hard. And, you know, we're still kind of putting the pieces together. We lost some really good players last year and Jordan Ferrix and Kayla Michael and, and Sierra Porter. And so, um, you know, it's kind of been a work in progress. So we're still trying to figure out some things and, and move some things around. But uh, it's a great group. They're really fun to coach. They work really hard. And uh, I think once we once we um, get into the swing of things and being able to iron some things out, it's it's going to be a lot of fun for us. Well, and uh, you do have four whole days to iron things out. I mean, the season starts with an exhibition game on Monday. But last year seemed like, I, I, I mean, I know you guys have been building, but last year really seemed like a breakthrough year for the program, just with the excitement and the attendance that you were able to generate. All off season. what kind of feeling have you gotten from fans and just people around town about the anticipation for this team? Well, we just we love our community and love the state, and uh, it's been fun to see our fan base grow so much. And you know, we've tried to um, give back to the community as much as we can, and be around and be there for them, and and be involved. And they've came out and support us uh, in, in really big numbers. You know, it's so cool to look at the progress of our program. Uh, but I think everyone's excited. Nobody has higher expectations than we do as a staff. And uh, the girls in that locker room were pro- probably playing the toughest. Um, non-conference schedule that we've played since we've been here and and that was by design at that point we didn't know we're losing Sierra but um, you know we just felt like we were right there with an opportunity to host and uh, I think scheduling is is part of that equation and so we tried to up the ante a little bit and again I always think that you know it prepares you for such a tough schedule in SEC so we know there's not going to be an easy night out for us our non-conference is really challenging but 
you know, those girls enjoy playing that kind of schedule. And uh, I think that's, you got to beat the best. Uh, uh, you got to play the best uh, to be the best. And so hopefully that just can continue to help us grow our program. Robin Mitchell Forty here. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned some of the players that, that you lost from last season and Sierra Porter and Jordan Ferricks and Kayla Michael, all kind of uh, more interior type players. I know there's been kind of some talk uh, around the program of maybe playing a little bit more uh, positionless is the big buzzword these days, or maybe a little more small ball. What, what, just what kind of has, has, uh, has gone into that, uh, into that change over the off season? And, you know, I guess, you know, how, how drastic maybe it, it would that actually end up being? Well, you know, when I talked about having some time to iron some things out, I think until you get in game situations, um, you know, it just always feels a little bit different. And so for us to figure out right where we're at instead of playing against ourselves and our scout team every day, uh, I think we're going to be, you know, those those exhibition games are going to, um, we're, we're going to be able to really see some things that we need to continue to work on or things are moving in the right direction and we're going down the right road with that, the right path. But you know, for us, uh, replacing those bigs, is it's a big deal. You know, you look at defensively and, and from a rebounding standpoint um, and just having that anchor inside so you don't become too much of a donut on the outside. But I do think with our personnel, um, you know, with kids like Amber Smith and, and Sophie Cunningham that have the ability to uh, create off the bounce, to take advantage of mismatches. And, and with our freshman point guard, Akira Levy, a kid that's really good at, at um, being able to break down defenders and get to the paint to create other shots for people. You know, it feels like it, fit us, it fits us pretty well. Uh, would love to have a healthy 6'3 kid in, in the middle for sure. Uh, but even kids like Kenna Schutz and, and Manu, our, our, um, our, our kid from France, you know, they've got some size and they've, they've been through the fires a little bit. So uh, it's, it's definitely going to be different, uh, quite a bit different. I think we're a little bit more up-tempo than we have been in the past. We push the ball a little bit more, uh, want to play with a shorter shot clock. Uh, we've got more depth maybe than we have last year with so many primer kids. But uh, it's going to be a work in progress, and, and uh, I think those exhibition games are going to reveal some things to us. You mentioned Akira Levy, and I do want to ask you about your freshman, but first of all, for anyone who attended Mizzou Madness, I think she was kind of the show with her uh, with her singing performance in the in the opening. So uh, is that going to be a uh, regular thing? Are there other people on this team? Like, <laughs> will we see you singing the national anthem before a game? <laughs> well, let me assure you this. You do not want to hear me sing the national anthem. <laughs> yeah. For sure. But, uh, you know, she's, she's golly, what a talented kid. And you know what? She's, I mean, for the people that were there, she's such an entertainer and she doesn't mind that. She loves that stage. She loves that spotlight. And at the same time, she's an unbelievable um, servant leader uh, to her teammates. And so it's really fun when people have those talents that they let them shine. Uh, I imagine that we'll see her sing the national anthem a few times throughout the course of the season, but uh, she's definitely a trait full of personality. That's for sure. And uh, Kira and Grace Berg, kind of a, a a very highly touted, you know, duo of freshmen. Are, are those both kids that you expect to play pretty major roles right away for you this year? You know, I really do. Um, and you just never know for sure what that learning curve is going to look like in regards to just physicality and, and pace of, of play, which, which I always say for our freshmen coming in. But uh, Kira's got a chance to be really special. And, um, you know, she's a pretty dynamic point guard. She's got great handles, great court awareness. Um, you know, she's got a motor, um, you know, and she can really push the tempo and, and a very good defender. So I anticipate um, she'll be a, a, a big-time impact player for us. I think Grace Berg has the potential to be. 
she reminds me a lot of Amber Smith and, and Sophie Round or Sophie Cunningham, just from the standpoint that um, she's got great versatility. Uh, she shoots the three ball really well. Um, you know, doesn't mind bringing the ball up against pressure, but also can play with her back to the basket. And so, uh, just kind of got that even six one uh, feel for us across the across the board from you know so many of our wings. And uh, you know, isn't afraid to play physical too. So I anticipate she'll get quite a quite a few minutes. I think we'll we'll definitely need her this year as well. Robin uh, Sophie Cunningham has obviously you know kind of become the the face of the program during her uh, four years here. You know, as, as she kind of enters her her last go round, is, is do you all talk about? Have you talked with her about you know trying to do anything differently or, or kind of making uh, you know this this last season something special? Or is that something that that's just kind of left unsaid between uh, her and the rest of the program? No, I mean, we definitely have conversations about it, uh, you know, and, uh, but, but I'm a big believer in, in the process and in staying focused on the task at hand. And if we don't stay true to, uh, you know, the fundamentals and, and what is, what's gotten us to this point and we lose sight of that, um, then some of those bigger things aren't going to happen. And so we just, we absolutely talk about it without a doubt, uh, but it's not a daily conversation in that locker room. Uh, we all know where we're trying to get to, um, but, you know, we want to really focus on the process and, and understanding, um, you know, what that looks like day after day after day instead of long-term where we're trying to get to. We are talking with Missouri women's basketball coach Robin Pinchton, and I believe this was probably the first time in the last four years you made it seven minutes into an interview without being asked a Sophie question. <laughs> so I, I think we deserve uh, we deserve something there. But yeah, uh, that's pretty impressive. But yeah. you know what? What a fun kid to talk about. Uh, she's done so much for our, our program and and community, and um, you know, kids like her don't come along. Uh, very often and uh she's got a lot of uh passion and, and she's infectious with her energy and uh she deserves to be talked about a lot and i know i'm not looking forward to uh graduation day with her but we've just agreed we're going to make the most out of uh one day at a time and really embrace this ending stretch of her journey here and it, you mentioned the sec i mean everybody knows it's the toughest conference year in and year out like legitimately pretty much every team in this league has ncaa tournament hopes i mean is this just another year in that meat grinder? I mean, as good as it ever is? Uh, yes. <laughs> as much as I hate to admit it, um, it really is. You know, we lost some some really good players in the league, uh, but there's some elite-level kids returning and, um, you know, coming in as freshmen. And so, you know, it just it keeps reloading. Uh, every year, you know, everyone just kind of restocks on, on personnel and, those elite level kids. And I think we got some great coaches in this league. So, you know, I think this year, maybe more than any other year, um, still got the same kind of depth, but I think that SEC championship is, is out there for the taking. I think you could go one through, you know, probably one through six in, in, in regards to schools that have a legitimate shot at, at, at winning it this year. Robin, uh, just kind of, you know, following the program the last few years, I've been struck by just, you know, obviously how many kids, that have contributed uh, at Mizzou come from Rockbridge. And, um, you know, just, just how unique is it to have a program like that in your own backyard that that produces the talent of, like, you know, the, the two Cunningham sisters, the two Porter sisters, Ellie Brown? How, how rare is that to have a, a program that produces that kind of talent and that, that well-coached players just right down the street? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I can only speak for the places that I've been, but uh, it sure has been um, – 
great for us. Um, you know, I don't I don't know how much I can talk about Jill, but she's a phenomenal job. Uh, anybody that that's followed her program, and uh, it's pretty nice to be able to drive just a couple miles down the road and you know have so many uh, Division One prospects. And so uh, we've certainly benefited from that. And I think from a community standpoint, I think when you can keep those elite level kids, not only from your community but from your state to stay home um you know that just increases uh excitement around your program and, and your fan base which is so important in the sec because night in night out we're playing on the road in front of anywhere from six to eleven twelve thousand fans and so for us to have that same home court environment i, I think is really really important so to be able to do it with so many uh local kids and in-state kids is definitely uh, i think been really exciting for all of us Robin, you've talked to a few times about Sierra um, and obviously her kind of having to end her career a year early. How much have, have you talked to her since that decision was made and how's she doing these days? Well, I talked to her a, a lot initially, yeah. <laughs> just hoping maybe we could get her to uh, reconsider. But at the same time, I, I know in my heart it, it wouldn't have been a good thing. And that poor kid, um, you know, poured out her soul for our program and played through a lot of discomfort and, and um, you know, some aches and pains. And um, she's just been such a huge part of what we've done, too. And I think it's been hard because, you know, she – she had so much potential if she was to stay healthy. I think that's a kid that would have also had a shot to play in the WNBA just because of her versatility. And so, um, you know, we, we, we understand completely and fully support her decision. Uh, but we stay in touch a lot, obviously, former player and then, um, you know, my niece. And so right. I'm excited for her. And I, I love that she's found a passion for what she's doing with uh, some of this photography and, and modeling. And um, she's traveled around quite a bit. And, and I just think really enjoying life. And I couldn't be more happy for her. And uh, obviously one other Porter sibling who recently had a, had a knee injury is Jonte Porter, a big blow for the men's basketball team. Just wondering, Robin, if you've uh, had a chance to just kind of talk to him and, and have a sense for, uh, for how he uh, has, has handled the last few days and how the, uh, how the medical outlook has looked uh, just initially here. Yeah, I don't really have a lot of inside scoop for you on that one. Um, okay. We did talk that night um my sister called right away we actually had a recruit on campus and so i didn't i wasn't even aware that that had happened and just a lot of emotions i mean when you pour out your heart into something and and, and john Tay's worked so hard uh, in regards to transforming his body they've done a great job with him in the men's program of, of just developing uh strength and quickness and playing at a really high level, coming off Mizzou madness, you know, just he looked good, he looked strong, he looked explosive. And so um, when you work so hard and invest so much, it's absolutely going to hurt. Uh, but the thing about John Tay is uh, I've always admired his his balance so much, and he's got great perspective. And there is no doubt in my mind uh, this is just a, a speed bump that he's got to fight through, and he'll be back stronger than ever. Um, you know, once he has surgery and has a chance to rehab. All right, Robin, last thing for you. I just kind of want to ask, I mean, you and Conzo both kind of started things on Saturday night, mentioning the football team, and, and I know all the coaches seem to kind of, uh, online, whether it's on Twitter or in person, you know, make sure to, to point out the success of all the other coaches. Can, can you just talk uh, to finish up just about the camaraderie that, that seems to have developed really across the programs in, in this athletic department the last two or three years? 
Yeah, isn't that really cool? I mean, that's what it's supposed to be like. And, um, you know, a lot of people use the buzzword family, but, you know, we're living it. And I think you really see that genuine support that we have for each other. And, um, you know, I, I just, I think that's really unique and really special. And, you know, for us, it's, um, you know, just um, embracing each other, you know, staying out of our silos and, and supporting each other and, and doing whatever we can. And, Man, I'm surrounded by some great coaches, uh, you know, here at Mizzou. And uh, I've got a lot of respect for what they do. And I know, you know, so many times we get caught up in that scoreboard uh, and the win-loss record. Uh, but I'm just telling you that we've got great coaches that invest far deeper than just the talent on the field. And uh, if you knew all the things that happened behind the scenes, I think our fan base would be so proud of of how these coaches are developing young men and, and females for later on in life. All right, well, exhibition season starts next Monday night, season opener at Western Illinois just eight days after that. So, Coach, appreciate you joining us. And uh, if, if the people we interact with on a daily basis are any indication, I would say that uh, enthusiasm for your program has probably never been higher. So a lot of people will be, be watching this year. Well, that sounds great. We appreciate everyone. We might have some bumps in the road early, but we'll fight through them, and I think it's going to be a great year for us as well. All right, Robin, thanks a lot. Have a good day. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Robin Pinchton, the women's basketball coach at Missouri, and I'm pretty impressed. I mean, only like a minute and a half of that was Sophie Cunningham. Yeah. We yeah, did well. No, they, uh, yeah, they, they've got, as she said, they've got a, a deep roster this year and a few uh, potential impact freshmen, and yeah, good for us for doing our homework. <laughs> right, but I, I, I mean, and she alluded to it, and I wasn't going to get too much into it because it's – but this season, like, it's four months – the part that matters is four months away for this Absolutely, program. Absolutely, yeah. It's time to take that ne- – like, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament barring a disaster. And for – I mean, we talk a lot about Drew Locke and, hey, he's got to beat a team and he's got to win more than seven games, like – for Sophie Cunningham to finish her career and never make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament would not only be disappointing, but uh, I mean that would be uh, that would be a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, she's obviously you know done a lot of great things for the program. I'm sure, uh, you know, I mean, without her, you don't get eleven thousand people in the seats for sure, uh, especially being from Columbia. But it's very clear that you know the next step is hosting, like she said, hosting a regional and then making it to the Sweet Sixteen and maybe beyond. So. And we did allude to, obviously, the Jonte Porter injury. And, hey, we are going to talk about that um, a little bit more when we finish finish up previewing the football game, which we will do shortly. First of all, though, Mizzou fans, you can make your mark on the world while the Tigers do it on the field. And now coming up next week on the basketball court, all you have to do is switch your underwear to Mark Skid, the new eco-friendly underwear company, started by one of you guys, a Mizzou fan, Mark Skid will give you, well, they won't give you, you actually do have to pay, but they will sell you um, new underwear, which is made with organic Pima cotton and one upcycled water bottle in each waistband. $4 donated from each pair you order to one of your choice of four-star charities to save, feed, or cure the world. One pair can provide safe drinking water for a person for up to seven years, feed a child in the developing world for 12 days, or vaccinate two children. So you go to markskid.com. That is M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com. Use the checkout code POWERMAZU. You get 15% off of your first order and free U.S. shipping. 
So, Mizzou fans, make your mark on the world. Again, markskid.com, M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com. We now turn our attention to football and the biggest game of the year so far for the Missouri Tigers. The opponent, the Kentucky Wildcats, come in 6-1, and one, already 4-1 and one in SEC play. We're going to talk with Justin Rowland of catsillustrated.com, the rivals site that follows Kentucky every day. Justin, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you guys doing? Not bad. Uh, appreciate you taking some time. And it, look, this is a game at the beginning of the year. I think Missouri fans looked at and said, "Okay, that one's a, a likely win." And all of a sudden, now Kentucky is, I think, a lot better than anybody thought, at least outside of Lexington. Did people inside the program or close to the program see this coming? Well, I mean, for the last three years or so, when everybody like me would predict Kentucky to go six and six or seven and five. Coaches, players, they would laugh and scoff and, like, pledge that, you know, we were going to eat those words. And lo and behold, it's finally happened. Um, (laughs) If you say it enough, eventually. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, a lot of the bravado, and I'm being honest, a lot of the bravado was kind of just shrugged aside this year. It's like, you know, they're just talking a big game again, you know. But they've had this core in place for three or four years now, and a lot of these guys are just – they're juniors, they're seniors, they're very experienced, and it's kind of the, the fruit of the best recruiting classes in program history. Justin, uh, you know, I know I think a lot of people know by now that the Kentucky's MO offensively is running the football. They only had 18 yards passing last week against Vanderbilt. Uh, as a result, Mark Stoops was kind of talking, he mentioned at least on his radio show, that there's a chance that uh, another quarterback could see action. Do you think that, that there's a chance they throw a backup quarterback, Gunnar Hoke, in the game to try to get more of a passing threat? And if so, just, just give us a little uh, brief rundown on what, what Gunnar Hoke brings to the table. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think there's a chance. At the beginning of the week, Mark Stoops said that he was looking at maybe playing several quarterbacks this weekend. And I think that was probably an exaggeration. You could count like <laughs> Lynn Bowden and Benny Snell and the Wildcat. Of course, quarterback Terry Wilson, Gunnar Hoke, and Danny Clark. I would be surprised if the third stringer, Danny Clark, made it into the game, but a lot of people have been clamoring for Gunnar Hoke. He's he's a redshirt sophomore. He's a pretty heralded recruit. He, he was a high three-star kind of guy. He's kind of somebody who does everything pretty well. He's got enough arm. He's got enough accuracy. He's heady. He can extend plays, but he's not really great in any particular area, I would say, whereas Wilson is more of a, a run-first, dual-threat guy all the way. Hoke is probably more of a, a mobile, pro-style quarterback. But, we, you know, we just don't know what to expect from him because what we know he lost the starter job uh, in the offseason competition. The coaches have been reluctant to put him in. Frankly, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between the fan base and the coaches in terms of how they feel about Hoke. I think that we probably would have seen him more by now if they felt more confident in what he could do. Well, and regardless of who's at quarterback, like – it's pretty obvious the way Kentucky is going to attempt to win this game is the way Kentucky attempts to win every game. They're going to hand the ball to Benny Snell on, I you know, every other play at the at a minimum and try to probably win a game that doesn't get above 21 points. Uh, which of those things, I, I mean, two main factors in every Kentucky game, but which of those things do you think is, is more important for Kentucky in this matchup? Benny Snell having a big day or – the defense, you know, doing what it's done all season long and, and holding somebody down to 20 points? 
I would say Benny Snell needs to needs to have a big game against Missouri because I, I could see Kentucky's defense playing really well against Missouri and still giving up 21, 24, 27 or more points. You know, I, I just I have enough respect for Missouri's offense that I look beyond the, the 0 and 3 SEC record and you see who they've lost to. Um, I, I think Missouri's offense is balanced enough in how they run the ball and how they put pressure on a defense vertically that. You have to expect at some point in the game they're gonna the, the defense is gonna break and and Kentucky's gonna have to be able to sustain drives and that's really how they control games is get two or three or four drives a game that are like ten twelve fourteen plays that really just take the other team's offense out of the rhythm out of their rhythm and it just sets the whole tone so I think they've got to be able to do that and and we know Benny Snell is gonna bring it but the offensive line's been a little bit inconsistent sometimes. Yeah, glad you mentioned kind of the the uh, long drive factor because we've definitely seen sometimes from Missouri that uh, especially last year, but still some this year, some some quick three and outs that can put the defense in a tough position. Uh, you know, I know, um, you know, we I mentioned that that Kentucky threw the, threw for eighteen yards against Vanderbilt. They did win that game fourteen to seven. But I think you know the sense I've gotten kind of reading some stuff is a lot of people kind of viewed that as a little bit of a red flag, like oh, you know, maybe maybe Kentucky's due to come back down to earth, and you know that that might just be the the name on the front of the jersey but do you think it's fair to say that you know uh you only score 14 points at, at home against Vanderbilt that that maybe that's a sign of concern or do you think uh you know hey you you win an SEC game you take it and you move on I mean it's both but no question it's a sign of concern because there have been like 10 consecutive quarters dating back to the second half against South Carolina when the offense has just been in a funk it started with offensive line penalty they were up 24 to 3 going into halftime against South Carolina and the offensive line Penalty after penalty, same issue at Texas A&M. Penalties up front, pre-snap penalties, holding penalties, and this is just not an offense that can that can consistently operate first and 15, first and 20, second and 12. And then against Vanderbilt, it kind of just felt like they were trying to they were trying to run out the clock to get to the Missouri game. I saw on another website somebody. Somebody said that an NFL scout said it looks like Kentucky's just trying to limp into the Missouri game. And it does kind of feel like they're trying to back into it. They've gotten very conservative. We know that this is the kind of game plan that Stoops likes, but, you know, the quarterback's lacking confidence. The offensive line hasn't been as consistent. The receivers aren't getting separation. And I think all of that combined with this is just who Mark Stoops is, but it does seem to be compounded right now. So, Justin, I think we talked to you before the season, and, and you said, you know, if they can beat Florida and make a bowl game, this is, is probably a successful season. But obviously, I mean, as, as time goes on, you know, your expectations change a little bit. So this is a 6-1 and one team that win or lose this weekend probably goes into next week at home against Georgia with the the reality if they win that game, they should win the SEC East. So, you know, what – I guess what over the next two weeks makes Kentucky fans happy? And also just how bought in are Kentucky fans at this point? Is this a fan base that's fully gotten behind this team? Yeah, it's taken Mark Stoops a really long time. Kentucky football fans have really prided themselves on being more loyal and passionate than they've really ever been given credit for. They've obviously always been been thought of as a basketball school, but you know, traditionally usually top 25 in attendance. It took Stoops a long time to get you know Kroger Field packed again because – for five years, every single time we went, we got to one of these games, it was like a potential breakthrough signature win. They would lose, and they were close losses, but they would lose, and so it was kind of deflating. I think the win in, at Florida, snapping that 31-year streak against Florida, 
and getting into the top 15 has definitely gotten the fans on board. I think, I mean, they're obviously going to be happy with pretty much anything from here on out. They haven't had a winning record in the SEC since 1977. So they win one of the last three. <laughs> that streak ends. Uh, but right now, it's kind of Atlanta or bust. I mean, when is Kentucky ever going to be in this position again? You know, it might not be in some, some fans' lifetime. So it's really, I mean, now or never for a lot of people. Justin, we kind of touched on this. Uh, you know, this game actually, I mean, while it is obviously a big game uh, for both teams, you know, for Kentucky going on the road, it, it it really doesn't matter probably too much for Kentucky's chances of winning the SEC East because either way, win or lose, if they beat Georgia and then take care of business against Tennessee, they will win these because they'd have the tiebreaker over Georgia. Do you do you think there's any chance that the, that the players could be looking ahead to that uh, that matchup in Lexington next week, or are they or, or is the this one too big for uh, for that? I think it kind of felt like in the Vanderbilt game, they came out really flat. They were coming off a bye week. Uh, They looked really flat against Vanderbilt. It didn't look like they they came out fired up, anxious to play again. I think they kind of got that clunker out of their system. I think the poor – I mean, really, they were embarrassed by the the offensive performance against Vanderbilt. I think the coaches are embarrassed by it. I would be surprised if they don't come out fired up against Missouri. I don't think it's going to be a deal where they're looking ahead to Georgia. And they know that their margin for error is wider. They have more paths to Atlanta potentially. Things outside of their control will happen one way or another if they beat Missouri. So I think they're going to be more fired up. If, they, if they're not, then they're going, to get, they're going to get run off the field. Well, and this is a Kentucky defense. I mean, they've given up 90 points in seven games. It's it's the fewest in the SEC. Haven't given up more than two touchdowns in any game. Everybody knows Josh Allen, who I think is probably headed for a an SEC defensive player of the year performance. But I think the key to this game is what shuts Missouri down or has in the past when they play these defenses is elite-level cornerbacks and and safeties that can kind of take their receivers out of the game. So for Missouri fans that aren't really familiar with the Wildcats personnel, is that something Kentucky has? I think so. I mean, they have the the biggest set of corners in college football. They're all pretty much 6'3 or 6'4". And we had started to think that maybe that was a hindrance with some smaller guys in recent years. But these guys, I mean, they're playing lights out. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better duo of safeties than Mike Edwards and Darius West. West has improved dramatically in coverage this year, always been great in the box. Mike Edwards, probably the most versatile defensive player on the team other than Josh Allen. Derek Beatty, going into the game against Vanderbilt, had allowed like three completions on 20 pass attempts for about 20 yards all season. I think the lowest yards per attempt of any Power 5 cornerback. Um, Lonnie Johnson, a junior college transfer, had been committed to Ohio State. He's kind of struggled recently. He's given up three touchdowns over the last three games. I will say is I'm not sure how Kentucky matches up with Missouri's tight ends. If the defense has had a vulnerability this year, it has been um, they've occasionally gotten beaten over the top of those inside linebackers, so that'll be a matchup to watch. Interesting, yeah, we know. Missouri's uh, decent at that. Like Uh, That's one thing they should be able to do. Yeah, Alberto had a a big game last week. They have really exploited – Cash Daniel, Jordan Jones are really good – against the run, active in the box inside linebackers. But Florida, Mississippi State, a couple other teams, they do occasionally bite and get beat over the middle. So, uh, you know, I, n- I know you kind of said earlier, Justin, that uh, 
that you know you you think is even Kentucky Kentucky's defense can can play a pretty good game and Missouri still might be able to uh to put up a few points against them. Do you think it's do you think it's uh it's fair to say that if the game gets over say like three touchdowns, 24 points for the winner that the Kentucky uh doesn't have a very good chance or do you think that you know Kentucky's offense maybe is uh, is capable of putting it together and winning a game like, you know, 27-24? I think I think they could win a game in in at that pace because I think that they're they're, this is still a team that rushed for 303 yards against Florida. They're one of the best rushing attacks in the SEC when the offensive line isn't having lapses. I think Missouri is solid against the run, but I think most – it wouldn't be a shock if Benny Snell rushed for like 170 yards because that's just kind of – Benny Snell does that. And But I would say if it gets above 21 points, then, then Missouri certainly – um, has, has a better chance because Terry Wilson, really the only game Terry Wilson has played well as a passer is against Florida. The other six games, he's left a lot to be desired through the air. All right, Justin, finish you up with this. Uh, when we hang up with you, we're going to talk a little basketball, which is not a happy subject here in Columbia <laughs> this week, but uh, I, it usually is in Lexington, and this is just another uh, Kentucky march to an SEC title. I mean, that's, that's the way it looks right now. I, I've got a lot of respect for what – but Tennessee and Auburn have on the court this year. I think Tennessee in particular, those guys just play really well together and they're scrappy and they're versatile and they kind of taken Rick Barnes traditional, you know, teams persona on the court. I think Tennessee is going to be a force to be reckoned with, but I mean, I think sometimes with Kentucky, we have a tendency at least people who write about them to kind of roll their eyes and like, okay, they're kind of the default choice for top five again. We don't know how good the freshmen are going to be, but they're a safe pick. I think they're honestly being a little bit undersold this year because before the the trip to the Bahamas, I thought that it was a team full of pretty good players. After watching them in the Bahamas against some pretty good pro teams, it looks like a team full of very good players. And I really don't see I'm, – I'm, I'm stretching my mind. I don't see a weakness for this team other than maybe shot – um, shot blocking, rim protection. They're going to shoot. They're going to be insanely deep. They've got experience, more experience than almost any Cal Perry team at Kentucky, and they're very talented at every position. So, uh, you know, when they are 37-1, uh, and one, if they lose in the national semifinals, uh, yeah. a lot of people are going to be angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, <laughs> we laugh, but at this point, Cal Perry does need number two for his – for his legacy at Kentucky because he's had, what, 25 first-round picks, whatever it is. Yeah. It's, he needs another one. All right, Justin, appreciate it, man, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Justin. Thanks a lot. All right, so Missouri, Kentucky, um, it's – I think that we talked about it, something that I think probably fans don't realize, like this game honestly kind of doesn't matter for Kentucky. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it, I think it would be validation mm-hmm. to go on the road and beat a team that – Hey, they're a seven-point underdog. Obviously, I think Missouri's viewed more favorably outside of Columbia than it is inside <laughs> of Columbia. But, like, if if Kentucky, if you tell them, look, you're going one and one, every single Kentucky fan's going to go, cool, we will get blown out this week and just right. give us Georgia and we'll go to Atlanta. Right, because if they beat Georgia, then they're almost certainly, yeah, going to win uh, the East. Unless I mean... Florida somehow manages <clears throat> to sweep the rest of the schedule. Right, 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 yes. Um. So, yeah, I mean uh, – yeah, like like you said, they 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 do they don't necessarily have to win this game. I'm sure. I mean, like you know, no coach is going to bring that up to the players. And certainly, right. you want to win this game to have momentum going into the Georgia game. My my big thing with this game, and I mean, on paper, it really is a good matchup for Missouri because mm-hmm. the, their big weakness is pass defense, and Kentucky can't throw the ball. But like, 
it's hard to predict that the Missouri offense is going to put together a good game against a really good defense because we still haven't seen it. And at this right. point, like, you got to think it is entering the minds of some of those players as much as they're not going to admit it. I mean, like, you got to think Drew Locke's feeling a little extra pressure this week. He's not going to say he is, but I, I think he is. And I don't know, at, at a certain point, like, I do need to see – you know, a a really good, clean game where Missouri doesn't beat itself against the defense of this caliber. And that's the key. It's a clean game. It's not stats because, right, like, right. stats-wise, they put up a pretty decent game against Georgia. Yeah, uh, I'm just talking about South the Carolina, But they made so many mistakes mm-hmm. that they gave the other team points. If they give Kentucky 14 points, they're losing this game. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, yeah. to be clear, I wasn't talking about, you know, yard and touchdown. I was talking about those mistakes that, that, that you beat yourself. Like, and we've talked about that, so. So, yeah, we will have our uh, official predictions, which may change two or three times between <laughs> now and Saturday morning when our when our final preview posts, 3 o'clock SEC Network. Um, but, look, the big story of the week, and we, we talked about it earlier, but Sunday, Jonte Porter blows out his knee. Um, it, like, we've dissected this from every angle, but for people that would rather listen than read, I mean, the first takeaway is, geez, this is awful for a kid that should probably be making money to play basketball right now. And the second takeaway is if Conzo Martin manages to overcome this injury, he's a freaking wizard because I don't see how this team overcomes it. Yeah, I'm just not sure I see enough scoring on the roster right now. I mean – you know, John Tess, he, he was going to be the focal point of the, the offense, not just because he can, you know, be tall at 6'11 and right. score in the post, but he can shoot. He's a great passer. I mean, the plan was to totally run the offense he, through him. And, you know, here we are two weeks before the season, you lose him. I mean, you know, Jeremiah Tillman obviously is, is a good player. He's, he can score inside, but can he stay on the court? And if not, you know, the, the options behind him are not great. And then the shooting other than than Jonte was looking like, you know, you're going to need – I mean, Jordan Geis can shoot, but he's not a volume-type shooter like Cassius Robinson. You're going to need guys who haven't done it at this level before to, to you know – could come in and, and shoot a high percentage, and that's always a risky, you know, kind of a game. And specifically Torrance Watson. Yeah. And can this change if Mark and Drew Smith, one or the other, eligible? Maybe to some extent, yes. But the problem as the roster is composed right now is just, yeah, you lose Jonte, and so, okay, you don't have those traditional two big men that, that you can lean on, so your immediate reaction is, okay, they're going to be a small team that, that shoots the ball, but they don't have. I don't know <laughs> if they can shoot the ball. Like, Jonte, like you said, he was the best interior player on the team he was the best shooter on the team he was the best passer on the team he's the best rebound like he's the best everything that they have I think this now puts more of an onus Kevin Perrier is going to play a lot of four this year Mm -hmm. which I think actually is better I think that suits him well although he did just lose a bunch of weight but then who's your three I mean, who plays the three for this team, especially if K.J. Santos is not healthy? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, they they need K.J. Santos to be healthy. I mean, like, I don't know. That was the big question coming into the team. The big question was who's going to be, you know, who can provide scoring off the wing? And and now now it's an even bigger question. Right. Where's Jordan Barnett on this team? And, oh, by the way, also, where's Cassius Robertson? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, so we'll see. I, you know, I think the people who – Saying, you know, they did it last year after Michael Porter got hurt or kind of missing the, the drop-off at some of some other positions. But we'll see. I mean, obviously, like you said, there's still a chance that uh, Drew Mark Smith could become eligible. And we've seen Conzo Martin uh, do impressive coaching things before. So can't totally write them off. But this is, I mean, th- this is, people are not overreacting when they're saying that this is, you know, it, it probably make, takes the ideal likely season from you know NCAA tournament to NIT right and and I don't think any of us are saying like 11 and 20 or anything but (laughs) I I mean you cannot possibly go into this season thinking 
this should be an NCAA tournament team. Yeah. And I think it, I find it hard to even say it could be an NCAA tournament team, right? Yeah, now. no, I mean, not unless some someone gets uh, gets eligible. Uh, right now, I just don't see where the points are going to come from. Or yeah, or someone is just way better. All of a sudden, Mitchell Smith is like a <laughs> twelve and seven guy. If well, that happens, okay. There. You know, if he replaces Jonte from last year, let's go. They're playing yeah. an NCAA tournament, but things have to happen that we are not expecting. So uh, I don't know. We've already gone way too long. Anything else you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. If Kentucky is really underbilled as like the number two team in the uh, in the nation is what I think they see them at the polls, then I I, I guess we shouldn't even play the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean underrated at number two, that'd be fun. <laughs> That's not a bad life. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. Basketball season starts in like I don't know two weeks. You're going to be in Ames, Iowa. Yep. And yep. I think there's a game before that. There is against Central Arkansas. So yeah, it's that time I mean, of year. I don't know. I, yeah, we get we get, got a little bit more on our plate, but we'll uh, we'll enjoy it. All right, double duty. So we will be back uh, next week talking, uh, where's Missouri at next week? Florida. Missouri at Florida. There you go. I, it's one week at a time, guys. Yep. Uh, don't focus on the next game. Got to get through this one first. But we'll be back next Thursday. Thanks to Justin Rowland and to Robin Pinchton. Thanks to you guys for listening. And thanks to Mark Skid and Track My Implants. Again, Mark Skid at M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com. Use the checkout code POWERMIZU. Get 15% off. And Track My Implants, I hope I don't have to spell that one for you. Just go to trackmyimplants.com. Thanks to both of them for sponsoring, and we'll talk to you guys next Thursday.